Yeah, I don't know if I've ever actually seen that, where a guy gets sent down to nowhere. They basically have Glass now, Eflin, and hoping that they can get through the game. And welcome to episode number 279 of Artificial Turf Wars, a podcast about a team that's not quite in a playoff spot. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined by the um, slightly tardy Joshua Housem. How's it going, Josh? Yeah. I'm a little late <laughs> to our recording. I'm coaching the nice part college about, baseball and practice ran long. Uh, but the nice part about podcasts is uh, only one person suffers any anything at all for your lateness. Well, now the listeners do because we've been talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, it's been a couple weeks. Uh, the Blue Jays continue to play the 2023 season with a fantastic starting rotation. Uh, we saw the return of Boba Bichette, Kevin Kiermaier, Trevor Richards from injury. Uh, Alec Manoa got uh, demoted to somewhere. We'll talk about that. Uh, the bullpen is pretty much perfect. I mean, they're human, but gosh, it's tough to find a guy who is not doing um, a superlative job out there. And when the game, team hits home runs, they win. Uh, and when they don't score, which keeps happening, shockingly, they lose. Uh, Brandon Belt and Dalton Varshaw are doing what they can, as well as Bo Bichette, uh having come back in the midst of that stretch to, you know, correct that, that run problem. But they can't do it by themselves. Uh, we do have a note about the recently released Paul DeYoung, which is just how baseball goes sometimes. And we have a question or two from you. So let us, let us sing some praises because the starting rotation of this team and without Alec Manoa in it now is to a man very good to great. Yeah, I mean, Ryu's got a one eight nine ERA in his 19 innings since coming back. And then the other four starters are between a 3.2 ERA and a 3.9 ERA. I mean, they've been all just really very, very solid. And then the bullpen has been excellent. So, you know, even even Kikuchi's, so he, he just pitched, as we're recording this, he just pitched yesterday against Orioles. And he lasted four and two-third and gave up three runs. The first, the second run scored on a Danny Jensen throwing error, and then Kikuchi was removed, and then another other scored with two outs off the relief pitcher. So even his not great outing, he still pitched really well, and then the runners weren't really earned runs, even though they were earned runs. And that's as bad as anybody in this rotation has pitched recently. They've all been just excellent. Yeah, uh, and of course, coming with being excellent, they tend to get into the sixth inning or seventh inning which takes some pressure off of the bullpen. Uh, so you, John Schneider can at least try to do what he did uh, last night when the Blue Jays won an in extra innings, which is throw every reliever in the bullpen out there and, and uh, you know, situationally match them up as much as possible and get great results. Um, it, it's so weird to watch everything on the pitching side be like almost like clockwork right and then uh the offense comes up and i i don't i can't believe they're coached by well they're not coached by the same people i can't believe it's the same team it's just like could you score a run for kevin gaussman eh we're trying but we just don't know how (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, they're, they're looking at getting shut out again as we're recording this. It's the eighth inning. They're down 2 nothing. It's the bottom of the eighth. So then they have one more at bat, and it's going to be against Felix Bautista. So it's not <laughs> looking very good. But I, I just want to go back to some of the, the pitching stuff before that, before yeah. we get, you know, um, because one, the Romano, since coming back from injury, and I will get into some of the other returns in a sec, but he looks better than he's looked all season. Even though he's a little shaky outing against the Reds, he looks like he's throwing harder and his slider looks sharper than it was in the early parts of the season when he was not missing as many bats as normal. Just still, he's still getting strikeouts, but just wasn't quite as dominant as he has been. And if he can be that version of himself down the stretch, it could really, I mean, look, he was good enough in the beginning, but if he can be even better, the the, the way the Jays pitch, they just can't seem to, you know, if they, if they give up a couple runs in the bullpen, they lose, right? Because the yeah. offense is, as you've said, so, you know, they just give a home run as we're speaking, right? So they're losing this game. It's over. They're not going to score th- against, if I, look, if I'm, if they make me look stupid, I'll be thrilled, but they're not going to win this game. <clears throat> So Romano being able to take that next step, it's almost like he just needed the rest because he was so overworked early part in the season. And Swanson recently has been getting a little bit of a rest because they've got Hicks and they've got other guys that have been performing and the pitchers, starting pitcher has been going deeper. And I think that the more they can get that rest, the better they're going to be down the stretch. <clears throat> Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's it's it, the always the bullpen and the starting rotation have this. Uh, it's kind of an invisible relationship, right? Because you don't see until a couple of weeks later how the overworked but well performing bullpen uh, is has been affected by the starting rotation's failure to go deep in games, right? Even if they're not giving up a lot of runs, if they're throwing, if they're doing five and dives, two out of the five starters all the time, it takes a while for you to see how that causes problems especially when you're the blue jays and up until uh this month did not have guys who they could option to the minors and bring back up and now they have a couple of uh a couple of names who are in the minors like jay jackson who if something happens and someone uh does have a you know short-term flare-up they have a reliable arm to go to that's in triple a it expands things a little bit gives them a little bit more wiggle room so to speak um, we should talk though about the guy who's not in the starting rotation, which is Alec Manoa, who got demoted because, um, they did not need six men in the starting rotation, left him as the odd man out, and they had everyone come back from injury, including Trevor Richards, who was a guy who just gave up that home run. But I mean, you, you, you need to put Trevor Richards on the major league roster. So they demoted Manoa, but then they didn't do anything with him. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever actually seen that, where a guy gets sent down to nowhere. I mean, because when he was sent down the first time, he wasn't sent to any roster, but he actually might have been—he might have been assigned to the FCL Blue Jays because he just was going to the lab, and we knew we all knew he was going to the lab. He's still in Toronto. He's just working out. I mean, I—I I don't know because it's so weird. <laughs> Uh, it's not like they're keeping him on the taxi squad or something, right? It, it, it's just so unheard of. Uh, I'm sure that I've I've seen lots of conspiracy theories on Twitter about what is or is not happening with Alec Manoa, but I don't know what to say. 
I don't even know what the reaction is. Yeah, I don't I don't think that and I think all the conspiracy stuff is kind of silly. You know, the idea that well, I, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying we outline it. I'm just saying, like, I've, I've read a bunch of things because people are like, I don't get it. Like, I, I don't understand the pro. So there's the old trust the process, right? Well, what is the process for him to get well, back I, into a starting rotation? So my best guess as to what is happening is that the Jays or Manoa or both of them together have decided he mean, he needs a little bit of a mental break. Right. I mean, like, again, it's a guess. Right. But it. Mm -hmm. If it is, it would make a lot of sense. And if he needs that, then that's what he needs. And then, and I think it's the best thing for him. And I think that's, and, and if that is the case, they're not going to say that out loud. No. So, you know, if that's what he needs, or if he just needs to just get, get in the gym for a little bit and clear it and just, but without trying to work on mechanics or whatever, just, you know, stay in shape and then do what you need to in a week or two, all the power to him, right? Like, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's just this, the mental side of this sport gets overlooked, right? People just assume these guys are, you know, they can just get through anything. I mean, Zach Greinke quit after his rookie year. He walked away from baseball and now he's going to go into the Hall of Fame. Some, and uh, I saw, was it, was it Tommy LaStella? I think I was, I saw a thing about him that he, uh, he considered quitting when he was being optioned in his second or third year. And you know, now he's, this was six or seven years ago, he's still playing. If it wasn't LaStella, I'm sorry. But, um, you know, these, sometimes guys, just need a little break. And if he does, we I hope everybody supports that. Yeah. I mean, if you follow Travis Snyder on uh, Twitter, uh, recently he's opened up about a bunch of his struggles with um, expectations and things like mm -hmm. that. And I can see there's a lot of expectations on Alec Manoa. So we don't know if it's a mental thing. No, we don't. It, I don't we if it is a mental thing, though, I agree. We respect that. We go where we go. Uh, it is a difficult thing, I think, for a fan to look at and make any sense of in the absence of any information. Yeah. Yeah. So but what happens? Basically, just stop, you know, people stop trying to conspiracy theory, theorize about it. I mean, I, I even just made a guess, but I'm also acknowledging that I could be completely wrong. So we'll just find out when he's back. So what we do know, though, is th they did go down to a five-man rotation. So what effect does that have on the construction of the roster? Well, the biggest benefit that I that I can think of, at least, you know, off the top of my head with this whole thing, is that now they can keep Anasis Cabrera on the roster, and then when Chad Green comes back, Bowden Francis goes down, and then when they come back and when they get in September, Jay Jackson can come back, or or Francis, one either one, right? If they want the length, they might go Francis. But yeah. before, they were looking at a scenario where two of those guys would have to be down, or three of them. Well. well so well, one's down no matter what, but another one would have to be down with him. And now they don't. And and also it takes pressure off the other five starters in that when they had the six-man rotation, it knocked them down a reliever and they had to go deep. Now, well, Ryu can come out after five if he has to, or Kikuchi, as you said, right? They they could take him out after four and two-third and try to finish that game, which went an extra innings, with the bullpen. And they did successfully. They didn't give him a run other than the inherited run. So I think that it just makes it a lot easier on the entire rest of the pitching staff. Makes sense. So um, we haven't actually itemized it. Boba shot, Kevin Kiermaier, Trevor Richards came back. So Boba shot 16 games missed with patellar tendonitis, I think was the diagnosis. Uh, his knee be ouchy. 
we saw it happen live in the game. We know exactly when it when it happened. He's come back. He's looked exactly like Bobuchet from the other five months of the season or four months of the season. Yeah, he. Uh, you never know he wasn't playing. Yeah, uh, which is hard. Like a lot of guys need um, a comeback, and you can tell that they're still hunting for their timing, uh, which it speaks to what kind of year Bobuchet is having. Yeah, I mean he's still one of the better hitters in the American League. Um, he'll never take a lot of walks, right? So his OPS or WOBA or any of those stats, sorry, I yawned as I was talking, will never be world-beating. But he hits for power and he hits for batting average. And that's a great guy to have in the early parts of your your, your batting lineup. And he looks exactly like that same guy he's been since basically August of last year. Uh, Kevin Kiermaier uh, fixes, and I'll put that in quotation marks, uh, the outfield problem that you create by by having a not full-time outfielder in Whit Merrifield or in um, Kevin Biggio, depending on how things are, are rolling, uh, in, in one of left or right field. I feel, mentally, I just feel better when the outfield is Varsho, Kiermaier, Springer. Yeah, for sure. It's the best defensive outfield that they've got. Um, I mean, Merrifield's fine, but it's just Varsho is much better. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, okay. go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say it's like you know Springer. He's when you have him in right and Merrifield in left, you have two guys who are okay, and it for it puts a lot on the center fielder, which was Varsho, and he did a great job out there. But you know when you can go with elite defensive center fielders in center and left, it really makes it a lot better. Um, Trevor Richards is having a time since he's come back. I've seen twice he's gotten roughed up. I don't I don't know if I've missed the other appearances. Oh, he's, there's a wild pitch to allow a run. Never mind. <laughs> he is having oh, yeah, he's, time. He's, <laughs> I'm more confident in that earlier prediction that Jay's not going to come back in this game now. <laughs> it's for nothing. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Um, is Trevor Richards the, the guy in the bullpen we don't trust now somehow? I don't know. He was, he was great in the first game of the series. Right? You know, he came in an inning, one inning, got two strikeouts. I mean... He's only the, the only other time he pitched was against the Reds. He came in and gave, I think he got to give a couple hits and got an out. You know, obviously, he's not pitching well in the game that's going on as we're recording this, but he's still one of their best strikeout relievers. And I think that they have to trust that and that he's going to be the guy he has been. Like in this game, for some reason, he threw three straight fastballs to Anthony Santander. I don't know why. A left, you know, batting left, he didn't use his changeup. That's Jansen called that. Who knows? But. He's been their guy all year, and I think he has to stay that way. Fair enough. Until he shows that he isn't for more than an outing. Yeah. So this team is about to get shut out, uh, barring um, barring a ninth inning rally, uh, which would mean I believe it will be their eighth shutout since uh, sometime in April, which will lead all of MLB. Um, that's, it's not what you want, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's really not. Yeah, the offense just disappears at times, and I don't really know why. I mean, some of the guys just aren't hitting, right? Uh, the bottom of the order is atrocious at the moment. Chapman is ice cold. Like he He's really, really struggling. And then Kiermaier's been not great since coming back. Although he's, he had a, that one game against the Reds. And 
when Kirk's in there, he's not doing anything. So that puts a lot of pressure on the top. So if they're not hitting that day, the Jays just don't score as opposed to only scoring two or three. Which is pretty wild. Now, here's an interesting uh, tidbit that I was I was just looking at the standings because they're a half game back of Seattle. Seattle lost finally uh, because Seattle doesn't lose anymore. Um, and it looks like the Jays are going to lose, so it's going to stay the way it was yesterday. The Jays have scored about 70, or, sorry, about 60 runs less than Baltimore, but their run differential is only 10 different. So Baltimore is plus 76, Jays are plus 65. So Blue Jays are great, better pitching team, worse hitting team. Their expected win-loss by Pythagorean record is only one loss worse than Baltimore. The, the Jays play out at 70 and 56, Baltimore plays at 70 and 55. So one of these teams is lucky and one of them is unlucky. <laughs> yeah, well, the, uh, the when, when it's leverage situations, they are polar opposites. The Jays are, I think it was by uh, RE24, which is basically the run expectancy. It takes the run expectancy when you come to the plate and then what it is afterwards, how many runs you've added or not based on what you did the plate. And Baltimore is first in baseball and the Blue Jays are dead last in leverage situations. And that's just fluky. The, the, the Jays as a whole are better hitting team than the Orioles. But they just haven't, I mean, in August they've actually been hitting with runners in scoring position today. They just didn't hit period. <laughs> but, uh, but in general, these teams should not be as far apart as they are. But the Jays, you know, at, this, at some point that doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we've seen Pythagorean record just just be an indicator of what happened. It doesn't it doesn't mean uh, things are going to suddenly switch around even this, you know at any point in a in a particular season. It just means that uh, you know it could have it could have been different. You would have expected it to be different, but it is what it is. Um, yeah. So just just kind of a weird a weird thing I noticed again. The Blue Jays are in the playoff hunt. Uh, I feel like we don't need to discuss that in great depth until we get to September, which is, you know, next week. Um, but ultimately, they're going to have to do something a little bit better to get there, I think. I don't think you can, you know, you can't count on any other teams to screw this up at this point in the season. No, Jays got to win. It's that simple. And... I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I don't, I don't, you know, this offense just has to be better. And we've been saying that now for what, five months, four months and a bit. Cause they were good in April. Yeah. But you know, when, when we were planning this out, well, uh, Greg said, you know, and it's like the podcast starting to feel like groundhog day because we just keep saying all oh, the starting pitching, the bullpen <laughs> have been great and the hitting sucks. <laughs> and you know, you run out of things to say a little bit at sometimes because yeah, while well, they are doing a little better in August, they're not doing well enough. And the guys that are supposed to be hitting still aren't hitting. And, you know, they got it just it, it has to turn around at some point or this team will not make the playoffs. Yeah, I hear you um, in, in the so in the in the tradition of, of guys who were uh, horrible when they got traded, the Blue Jays and then inexplicably uh, recovered their, you know, their reputations upon leaving. And that's, you know. Brad Hand comes to mind. Uh, Mitch White. I, I'm not sure if Mitch White's going to recover. Um, Paul DeYoung showed up to the Blue Jays because they desperately, desperately needed a shortstop uh, with Bo Bichette injured. And I think he went three for 42. 
somewhere around there. 44. Three for 44. Three for 44. With no extra uh, base hits. All singles. Uh, and he matched that hit total in one night in a Giants uniform. <laughs> yeah, with a home run. Three for five with four, four, four runs batted in. Yeah. Yeah, an absolute bomb. And you know, this is Brad Hand is a great comp because Brad Hand was good with Washington, I think it was. Yeah. Can't trade to the Blue Jays and was awful. And then gets traded away again and was good again. DeYoung was solid with the Cardinals, comes to the Blue Jays and was useless. He was absolutely <laughs> terrible. He was negative one win. That's what he provided the Blue Jays. A negative one more in 44 bats. That's really hard to do. <laughs> and then he's good again, or he's fine again with the, with the, I mean, he's like, he's got as many hits in one game as he did with, with in 44 bats at the Jays. And you know, it's just bad luck because he's a solid player and, you know, it, but man, it really sucks. Yeah. You, you just sort of wonder what, what happens with the, when the weirdness strikes, right? It's like, was he some kind of double agent or something? That's not possible. <laughs> uh, well, we won't have him to kick around anymore, Josh. I think that's the lesson there. Yeah. You know who we're going to kick around? Our listeners. We're going to come back with questions from uh, at least one of them and uh, answer that in with all sincerity and depth uh, right after this. And we are back and ready to uh, to dispense wisdom, if such a thing can be done over here on the Turf Pod. And we do that by answering your questions. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Then how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Uh, we have a question from Jarrett S. at JRod19. He says... With all the talent in this bullpen, why does Car Garcia keep getting high leverage situations? So I assume this is referring to the, the this question, at least of late, is referring to him coming in in that game that we just talked about with Yusei Kikuchi, which was the fifth inning, right? Um, who else did you want them to go to is kind of the question. I mean, Garcia has been really, really good. You know, since the start of July, he's given up five runs, four earned in 18 and two thirds with 19 strikeouts and three walks. You know, like that's a 1.93 ERA with an OPS against a 586. He's been really, really good for two months. And, you know, I think there's some cloud. It gets a little cloudy because he had that stretch where he was really not good. You know, basically in the late May, early June. But yeah, he's been really excellent for them for quite a while now. And, you know, they didn't want to use Hicks or Swanson or Romano in that spot. The only other option would have been Richards who pitched the inning after. So, and he'd just come back from injury. So I, I, I don't, they really, they could use all these guys in a lot of different ways. And I don't really see a problem with it. I think the other problem you're running into, uh, with the way the offense operates here is they might not all be high leverage situations, but they all are close game situations. Like if you wait for the the score to be comfortable before you bring in Jimmy Garcia, like a three run lead, Jimmy Garcia just sits on the shelf. 
this team doesn't ever get a big lead. Yeah. So anyway, I, th I think they just have to use everybody. And they're all good enough to pitch in leverage. So I'm, I'm fine with it. A minor leaguer says, starting next Monday, the Blue Jays will face the Nationals, Rockies, Athletics, and Royals for three games each. What win-loss record would make you feel satisfied over those 12 consecutive games against bad teams? And then there was a follow-up from Curtis at 4 Wedgwood who said, satisfied with or realistically expecting. So we could do both. What do you, you go first. I think I am, I would be satisfied with nine and three. Uh, I am realistically expecting seven and five for some inexplicable reason. Cause I'm a pessimist at this point. That's, that's what it is. I actually, an addendum to that is the blue Jays do not have, uh, until they come back into the division right at the end of the, the, the season, right. And, and a couple of games against Texas, they don't have a particularly tough schedule. So I feel like the Blue Jays are gonna <laughs> gonna build up uh, some wins and a better record overall, um, and look pretty good. And then they might hit a wall when they have to face the Rays again. That's that's my unfortunate expectation. Bar the Jays have played the Rays the okay this year. You know the, the Jays. It's the you know they they played okay against the Rays, and the Rays pitching staff is just in tatters. You know Shane McClanahan's out for the season. They basically have Glass now, Eflin, and hoping that they can get through a game. Like the, the Jays should beat every team they face from here to the end of the season. Uh huh. They're, they're, <laughs> I, no, no, but that's I'm the not, thing. They're, I'm not saying they, you're wrong. <laughs> well, no, but it, it's not. It hasn't been the case, right, up until this point. You know, because the Orioles, you can't say they should beat the Orioles because the Orioles are just as good as them or better. Mm -hmm. But after this stretch so they oh no and they have, they have that series against texas so I, I i forgot about what that what comes in there so they yeah, they get through this stretch that we're talking about and then they have texas and then it's boston who they're better than new york who's in shambles tampa boston and new york or tampa new york and tampa so i think they could beat all those teams i really do but for this stretch they have to go at least eight and four uh, to me, nine and three is better, but at least they have to win every series. But they should sweep one, so I'm nine and three. I'm with you. All right, we 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 want nine and three. Uh, we we feel like eight and four is a reasonable expectation based on the records of of the team. I, I think we can both agree on that. My and pessimistic is seven and five. <laughs> right. Here's the thing: if they don't go eight and four against the worst teams in baseball, they don't deserve to get in. Yeah. I agree. Pretty simple. Yeah. Um, was that both questions? Did we did we just hammer through two questions? I, I yeah, guess we, we only did. had two and a half really today. I mean, that was my fault. I didn't put the the question call until really late. I I I reposted it as hard as I could on X, Josh. <laughs> that sounds so stupid. <laughs> And it's accurate. Yeah, it's exactly the right terminology if you are, uh, if you're in 2023, baby. All right. A final thought from you, sir. Yeah. So we talked about how the hitting was not exactly living up to expectation. And obviously it's not. But there are some good signs in it that we didn't talk about. And I do want to highlight how good Brandon Belt specifically has been. You know, he started the season awful right i mean he struck out 45 percent of the time yep and then he got hot and then 
lately what we've started to see come around is the power and the strikeouts have gone down. They're still striking out a lot. And, um, you know, he's never not going to strike out a lot, I think at this point in his career, but you know, since the start of July, he's got a 384 on base and a 555 slugging with 10 home runs. I mean, over 162 games, that's a 48 home run pace. And, you know, he's kind of like, he's been on base for Vlad a lot, which is, you know, unfortunately with Vlad's ground ball tendencies, there's been a lot of double plays lately, but you know, he's getting on base and he's doing what needs to be done when you're in that spot in the order, especially when he's adding the power. And then on the other side of Vlad, it's Dalton Varsho who has been finally starting to turn <laughs> it on a little bit. You know, in the, in the month of August, he's got four homers in, you know, 17 starts. Um, but he's hitting 281 with a 349 on base and a 579 slugging in the month. And we've seen him do this before. So th- th- that's what's the intriguing thing about it. He, he was a good hitter with Arizona. And when he got hot, he was a great hitter with Arizona. And the nice thing is that there are tangible differences in what he's doing. He's actually starting to get on top of some of those high fastballs. He's got a slight change to his leg kick. I mean, he has modified things to try to get to these pitches. So if he can do this through the rest of the season, it will really help the team you know, play up to at least some kind of expectations. Yeah, I mean, you need somebody to catch fire. It doesn't have to be uh, George Springer or Vlad Jr., right? Anybody in a pinch. Um, but you need a couple of guys to catch fire who can get shuffled around in the lineup and and represent, you know, a, a chain of events that are going well offensively, not, you know, a single ground out, single pop out, uh, oh, I'm sorry, the inning is over now that, you know, with the strikeout thrown in there. And that's that's where the Blue Jays' rough innings tend to go, is even with a couple of, of uh, runners on base, there are no extra base hits to move them around, um, or they're broken up between hits and out. Anytime they can chain hits together, when, when guys do the same thing and have picked up on the same thing in a the pitcher, they actually do quite well. Yeah. Um, my final thought is about the New York Yankees, because... Even if the Blue Jays uh, have a horrible season here, and I mean, that's uh, horrible's a way overestimation. Even the Blue Jays fail to make the playoffs. The Yankees are a tire fire for the, for the first time since, well, basically since the Blue Jays won the World Series last time. <laughs> They're 60 and 65 right now. Uh, oh, I've lost my standings. I think they have like a negative 30 run differential. This is the worst they've been this late this season, and are on a nine-game losing streak, uh, which I think is going to get fixed tonight uh, by by them. But uh, they hadn't lost ten games in a row since nineteen thirteen. Wow! So it's a long time. Yeah, it's epically, epically uh, bad. And uh, as as is often, I, I the you know the, often the case the the spending themselves out or you know uh dipping into the minor leagues seems to be something the yankees have had a way to trade around or, or whatever else the talk right now is that they're in a little bit of a bind in terms of being able to find the talent uh to fix what's wrong with this roster and i'm just fine with that <laughs> <laughs> yes especially you know if the orioles are starting to get good i would like it to have some you know some balance yeah, yeah, have at least one bad team in the division, please. 
Because <laughs> the last two years have been uh, frustrating, to say the least. Even with a slightly more balanced schedule, it's crazy. Well, uh, an abbreviated podcast, but uh, we, we covered the highlights for you folks, um, which is to say uh, that you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem, and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010, and this has been episode number 279 of Artificial Turf Wars, and we'll talk at you next week.